This weekly broadcast is presented to you by Cornerstone Bible Center, located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you subscribe to this podcast, please send us an email at in-depthbibleteaching at yahoo.com. And now, here's our teacher, Alex Del Percio. And in particular, we're going to start with the uncleanness of a woman during childbirth. And I thought this morning, it woke up and just dawned on me that Today's Mother's Day, and (laughs) I said, Lord, you're something else. But I hope that through this today, this will really show you something and open your eyes, and you may view things a little different from here on in, I hope. Uh, Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 12. Now, I'll read this very quickly from the the, uh, King James and then the NIV. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation of her infirmity, shall she be unclean. Say unto the Israelites, this is the NIV, A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. Now, we're reading in this chapter, if you've read the whole book of Leviticus, like I hope all you have, you're dealing in this chapter with the birth of a male and female a child, and God says there's uncleanness there, and we'll, we'll get to that in a little, little bit. But there's different reasons for... Uh, the uncleanliness, and we're going to deal with chapter 12 and chapter 15 that deals with the uncleanness of a man also. But there are different reasons, one of them being um, the, the discharge from a woman at this particular time. Now, remember, remember this. The word sin means a failure to hit the mark, goal, or path. The word unclean means unsanitary or impure. Now, that's something different. See, right away we read a verse, we read a scripture, we read a word, and we're equating it with something else sometimes. Now, the woman is not the only one in Leviticus that was considered unclean. For example, let's turn to Leviticus 11. We studied this, but it's right here uh, next to where we are. Verse... 25. That's the right scripture. I'll read it from the, I think this is the NIV. Whoever picks up one of their carcasses, and I was talking about certain animals, must wash his clothes and he will be unclean until the evening. The Nazarite, whenever he would enter a home, if he would enter a home or a room where there was a dead body, it says in Numbers that he would be unclean. Now, now what did he do? Did he sin against God? No. This law was set up, and whenever he did that, he became unclean for a certain period of time. Now, in chapter 14, which we're going to look at next week, this is speaking about leprosy, and I'll read verse 8. And he that is cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water that he may be clean. And after that, he shall come into the camp and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days. Now, 
There are several reasons why a woman here in, in chapter 20 was considered unclean. First of all, this was dealing with hygiene. This would be hygienic reasons. Remember that the priest, whenever the priest would handle the blood of different animals, God said that they had to, to wash themselves, they had to wash their hands uh, and clean themselves, dealing with hygiene. Now, we today know of cross-contamination. You go in the kitchen, and you have meat, raw meat, and you're handling meat. I hope you all know this. You're handling meat, and then you go and you start to make a salad. Now, your hands are contaminated from, from the meat, the blood, and now you're making a salad. Now, there's a good chance that some of the bacteria that's on the meat now is going to be contaminating what you're making. That's cross-contamination. Now, that particular thing was not a term from, you know, back then, but God set up certain Levitical laws, so to speak, to deal with these things. What, what does universal precaution mean? Those of you who are, have ever been in the food industry or in the health industry, universal precaution is simply washing your hands. So, you know, if you're a nurse and you draw blood, before they had latex gloves, let's say, you draw blood, you had to wash your hands. That's universal, universal precaution because you can have the bacteria moving. So, so you have this thing here where um, there, there's hygiene involved. Uh, when we look next week at leprosy, that deals with hygiene. Uh, well, the, in the natural I'm talking about, it deals with hygiene. Now... Another reason why a woman is unclean at childbirth, and I was reading this, this verse last week. It's like, it like woof, leaped off the page and grabbed me. And I, was, I, almost, I was up um, in Robinson sitting down having a cup of coffee, you know, going over what I felt the Lord wanted me to teach this week and starting to study. And I almost was crying in the middle of Panera. I'm telling you, those people were thought, oh, was tears were in my eyes, and I was hallelujah. And, I mean, not live, but just praise the Lord. Now, I hope you can see this when I show it to you. To correctly understand what's going on in chapter 12, there's a verse in chapter 16 that's the key, I believe, to chapter 12. Now, turn to Leviticus 16, verse 26. Now, remember, we're dealing with uh, this childbirth thing and the woman being unclean. And he that let go the goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and after come into the camp. That's the key verse right there. Now, the, the, the deal here is the annual day of atonement, they had two goats. They would bring them to the high priest, and the high priest would draw lots. And the one goat was taken and marked and that goat was, was taken to the altar and killed and sacrificed for the sins of the entire people for, for, for that year. The other goat was taken, uh, and the priest would give that to an individual, and that individual would take that goat and walk it outside of the camp and re release it in the wilderness. That, that was representative of the sin of the Israelites now being gone, taken out, taken out of the camp. Let me ask you this question. 
Did the goat sin? The goat's a goat, right? The goat didn't sin. The priest hands the goat to, to, to a fellow next to him. He says, okay, now take this goat outside the camp. And he takes, as a faithful servant, takes the goat outside the camp. Did he sin? What did he do to sin? Nothing. Neither the goat nor the man sinned. The reason why the woman is unclean, considered unclean, by giving birth to a child is because she has brought a sinner into the world. Just this week, I saw this magazine go through work, and on the front cover, there was a picture of, of a mother and she's holding this newborn in her hand. And there he is, you know, a little bit of hair and, you know, so cute and smiling back with a gumless, you know, mouth. So cute. And that's what we see. This picture of beauty and wonder and awe. And it's so, so beautiful. And this child is so cute. And they are cute. But what we don't see is that... Another sinner has come into the world. Sin through Adam and Eve was transferred down to man through inheritance. So that now this mother is giving birth to a child. She herself has been a sinner through inheritance by her mother. And now... She becomes unclean, not because of anything that she did, but because this is representative of her bringing into the world another sinner. That cute little cuddly baby is a sinner by inheritance. So her uncleanness is not because of the physical process of childbirth. Look in... Uh, Job, I want to read this from the Amplified. Job 15. If anybody has it, they can read it out of the King James. Job 15, 14. Go ahead, read it, someone. The Amplified says, Behold... Uh, wait, where are we here? 15, 14, okay. What is man that he can be pure and clean, and he who is born of a woman that he can be right and just? When, when a child is born, he's not right and just, no matter how cute he is. The woman is unclean because she's brought this sinner into the world. Uh, in 25, 4, I'll read that verse. How then can man be justified and righteous before God, and how can he who is born of a woman, be pure and clean. He says the same thing. Now, what we're seeing here in, in the birth of a, of a child is the promise of God to Eve for the time in the garden when she sinned. In Genesis chapter 3, please turn there, verse 16. Unto the woman he said... I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, or thy pregnancy. In sorrow 
thou shalt bring forth children. So the, the word uh, sorrow is there's pain, uh, there's difficulty, and what have you, in, in, in labor. Correct, women? Everybody says amen. Yeah, all the women shaking their heads. Okay. Now, there's another thing in this verse. Look at it. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. So the woman is going to bring a child into the world, and it's going to cause sorrow or labor or pain. And if she, and I'm getting ahead of myself, does not dedicate herself to God and influence this child, when this child gets older, he can possibly bring multiplied sorrows to the woman. And there is many a woman who has experienced the multiplication of sorrows from this verse, seeing their, their uh, child kill, murder, rape, whatever, and end up in prison, or break the law and, and, and destroy other people's lives. And so the, the multiplication of that sorrow there is a promise to the woman for the sin, Eve, and for her seed, all of us, you, you women, if God does not step in and redeem and change some things. So uh, you have, let's, let's continue on in chapter 12, back here in uh, Leviticus. Now, in chapter 12 and chapter 15, chapter 15 deals with running issues of a man. You have the childbirth in, in that chapter dealing with the propagation of man, reproduction of man. Now, if you go back into Genesis, and you see where, where um, let's just stop and think a second. Eve, or Adam and Eve, before they sin, let me, let me just go back here for a minute, because I want to get this right. Okay, verse 17. He said, God says that on the day that you sin, or the day that you eateth of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Now, the actual day that Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, they did not physically fall over and die. But the, the, if you have a column reading in your Bible, which gives a better interpretation that verse, it says that dying, you shall die. So when Adam and Eve sinned, death was, was brought to them, and now there is a change in their body, and that which God uh, had ordained to, to, to goodness and life, now they, they're going to die. We all will get old now and eventually die because sin has been transferred down through, you know, man. Now, it's interesting you know, when you look in the mirror, not you young kids, but all of us that are a little bit older, you can see that your body is changing. You can see the gray hair, the thinning, and so on. I mean, it's quite obvious. Why is that? See, because 
Dying, we shall die. Death is at work in us, in the physical, and that's going to result in eventually us dying physically. Before they sinned, God says that you are to be fruitful and multiply. So, so that means there's going to be some reproduction there. But now, after they sin, sin has affected them, Adam and Eve. Death is working in them, and physically, their bodies have changed. And we, as I said, you look in the mirror, you know that. I believe that also the, the part of the reproduction is, was under now the curse and was changed. So you women that, I don't know why I have to have a monthly period and all that stuff. What's God thinking? Well, it very well may be that that was not the original design of God there. But because of sin, the body has changed. And now you have all these other things. Let's go back to chapter 12 here and look at verse 6. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest. Now remember, there's two things involved here in her uncleanness. One is hygiene, and the other is that she brought a sinner into the world. That is why she's to bring a sin offering to the priest to acknowledge this nature of sin now that has been passed on from her to this child. The sin offering, if you'll remember, was for the condition of the sinner. The second offering here in, in this verse is the burnt offering, where she's to bring a burnt offering, and the burnt offering, if you'll remember, deals with the devotion of the individual, devoting their life, however you want to say it, dedicating their life to God. So she's to bring both of those. The reason why she's to dedicate herself to God is so that through her dedication, through her service and serving the Lord, she can possibly change the course of this sinner who is bent to move away from God and sin, but now because of the faithfulness and the devotion, not just doing the sacrifice, but this inner work, this inner thing, like Hannah, where now she's dedicated to God, and she becomes a godly influence upon this child. So that's why I believe both of the offerings there are to be brought at this time. Now, I have a little drawing the Lord gave me to help illustrate what's going on here. So I'm thinking, Lord, I see some of these things, but sometimes when you're sitting there, you don't see. Maybe you do. Uh, but you don't see things as clear. Now, I'm going to draw this circle right here. Okay, and this, inside the circle, is a holy, pure God. Now, on the outside here, I'm going to draw this thick line. What a nice and thick. 
Okay. This line here, and I'll give you a copy of this if you're interested later. This line here that goes around this whole area represents the different Levitical laws. All these things that we're looking at and a lot of things that we haven't, and it, you even see these things in Deuteronomy and, and Numbers and other places here. But mainly in, in Leviticus, you have all these Levitical laws here, and these laws are set up to protect this area in here. This area here is what you could say is spiritual or clean. Out here is the area of uncleanness. So that as we're looking at with the woman, God says, now you've given birth to this sinner. Now you're unclean. So now you are here. Now that's really no big deal. It's not anything that they've done wrong. But now will they decide, and this is true with a man too, we'll get to that. Will they decide to follow the Levitical law and, and go through the cleansing and offer the offerings, if they do, now they penetrate back into this area. This area here, all this area in here, uh, is a place that the Levitical law has, has kept as, an, as a proper approach to God. All in here. So if the man is unclean, it is no different. If he relates to the natural, or the woman says, well, I don't think that's right, I don't think I need to do that, then what happens is they remain out here. This is, is the natural, the natural thinking, the natural reason. This is a place here that's a lower level, see. But, but see, it, it's just, it's no big deal. You can move right back in here just by obeying the laws. I, I was reading this morning about uh, Bathsheba, but um, I'll just say this. because I want to go and read another verse later. But with Bathsheba, she's on, she's on the, uh, the roof or wherever, someplace high up, bathing. David's on the roof. She probably figures, you know, who's going to be walking around on the roof? Well, David was up on the roof. And he sees her bathing. What's she doing? Well, it says in that verse, she was unclean, and she went through the Levitical rituals. She was up there, you know, bathing herself with water. And David sees her. Now she's gone through her monthly period, and she's had the, 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 uh, the cleansing, the, with the washing with water. Now David sends for her, brings her in, goes in unto her, and she conceives. See, so she was in, in obedience to God, Moving right into the place where she should be. And you see this in the scriptures. Blessed are they, or blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now that's talking about being in here. Now, when a person's in here, now they can approach God. Out here, there is no approach to God because they have not obeyed him. See, this is the line here, all the way around. The line that must be uh, crossed 
through obedience into the place where God, God wants uh, the individual. Now in 11, verse 45, ye shall therefore be holy for I am holy. Well, that's talking about this place in here. Why? Why go through all this stuff with the, with the unclean beasts and everything? Verse 47, to make a difference between the unclean and the clean. See, so that you would know the difference between the unclean and the clean. Well, I hope that helps you a little bit. But remember, sin means the failure to hit the mark. Unclean means unsanitary. So, so there's, there's different things moving here. Okay, now let's go to Leviticus 15. Now to save time, I'll read this from the Amplified. Verse 1, And the Lord spoke unto Moses uh, and to Aaron, saying, Say to the Israelites, When a man has a running discharge, now it's talking about ejaculate. It's talking about his, a running issue. You, you get the picture once you understand what it's saying. Because of his discharge, he is unclean. It's a normal body function. But he says he's unclean. This shall be the law concerning his uncleanness in his discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge or has stopped running, it is uncleanness in him. Now, again, the command here is concerning running issues or, or discharge. And first of all, again, this was for hygienic reasons. Um, HIV, uh, gonorrhea, what are some of the others? Herpes, um, syphilis. These diseases are, are um, transmitted by bodily fluid. And so, so the Lord, he sees this, he knows this. Do you know that, who knows when, when uh, bacteria was discovered, where man first discovered bacteria? It's in the 1600s. Not back then. Man didn't know what bacteria was. Well, God did. And he's saying, okay, this is what you need to do. This is, you need to wash and cleanse yourself. He doesn't even give them a reason. He said, you want to be obedient to me? Just do what I'm telling you. You know, like you say to your kids, do what I'm telling you without explaining it all. If he couldn't explain bacteria to them many, they, they probably, what is bacteria? So, so he's, he's doing this for hygienic reasons. Um, and, and of course, we know, for, for example, like gonorrhea, which was, used to be a common uh, disease, transmitted sexually, that by the use of antibiotics, it cures that. But again, they had no such thing available to them. They had the word of God and being obedient to God, and that was an area of protection for them. Universal precaution. You know what that means. Okay. Now, a running issue is a secret. Nobody sees it. Nobody knows it. The running issue represents the pollution, the repulsion, the ugliness, the abhorrence of secret sins. 
that would be with the unsaved as well as the saved. See, there is defilement with sin. In Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The word desperately there means incurably sick. It's talking about the sinful nature. The Amplified says this, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it is exceedingly perverse and corrupt and severely mortally sick. Who can know it, perceive it, understand, be acquainted with his own heart and mind? Jeremiah says. Paul says, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. I like the NIV. It says this, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. Nothing. Nothing. Any, any good that comes out of a person is not coming from their sinful nature. Running issue. The repulsion of secret sin. God's repulsed with it. That's, that's one of the meanings of that, spiritual meanings. Turn to Psalm 51, verse 7. Now, this psalm is, is given, or the time frame here, is after uh, David had went in with Bathsheba, and it's after the time when Nathan the prophet comes to him and exposes his sin, you know, you know by, by uh, the, the working of God, by the word of God, he exposes David's sin. And David says here, verse 7, purge me with hyssop. Now, hyssop uh, was an herb that was used for medicinal purposes, for cleansing, healing, things like that. And so David is taking this natural herb and he's applying it spiritually to where he is. He is in sin. He has um, been cut off from God. You know, hence that the scripture, you know, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David is in this place where he knows that he does not have the relationship with God that he once has. And so he says, take this hyssop and purge my heart, my soul, this sin. You know, it's, it's this form of repentance to God. Clean me and cleanse my heart, O Lord. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And the whooshing there uh, is coming, I believe, the thought is coming from Leviticus, dealing with whooshing. Psalm 90, verse 8. Our iniquities... Somebody read that in, in King James, please. Secret sins. Again, if you can see this, as I, as I said earlier, 
you know, this, this is connected with chapter 12 and chapter 15 dealing with reproduction. David's sin here was dealing, you know, with his reproduction organ, you know, him, him sinning with Bathsheba sexually. And so in, in this verse, it talks about secret sin. Well, that was a secret sin of David until Nathan the prophet exposed it. And so I'll read this from the uh, Amplified. Our iniquities, our secret heart, and its sins. And of course, it's not limited to that. We can have secret sins, you know, that nobody knows about, of course, but God. And God, you know, will come and deal with them. It may have nothing to do with, you know, a sexual thing. But anyway, uh, our secret heart and its sins, which we would like to conceal even from ourselves... You have set in the revealing light of your conscience. Let me read that again. Our iniquities, our secret heart, and its sins, which we would like to conceal even from ourselves, you have set in the revealing light of your countenance. See, and God did that through Nathan. And God will do that to us. And I, I shared with you um, a few weeks ago what I did at work one day you know, and smearing the mirror? Well, that was a secret. As far as God was concerned, I didn't think it was a big deal, but as far as God was concerned, I needed to confess that and, and to him and go take care of that. And so a secret sin is something that maybe you do and nobody else knows about or sees but God. And God very well may come and say, okay, I want to deal with this particular thing so that now it's confessed and now it's out of the way. It's no secret anymore. It's out. You know, God knows you've confessed it and that's it. Remember here, when we're dealing with this, human nature is defiled and human nature defiles. Now, I'm not saying that you know, people can't do good that aren't Christians. They can. But many times when people do something, for example, for you, there's ulterior motives. So now I'm doing this in my mind because, you know, now they owe me one. Later on I can go back and, you know, call in that card. And I hear that, you know, you'd be surprised how many times I hear that. In, in other ways, you know, not those exact words. People will say, well, you know, he should have came and helped me because I helped him did this and I did that, I did this. Well, what was the reason why you did it? So human nature, even at its best, is corrupted. And that's why we need a Savior. In Romans seven thirteen, it says, that sin, by the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. Well, when you have this little baby being born, who sees the exceeding sinfulness of sin? You don't. But if that child grows up and he becomes a mass murderer and he ends up in prison, now you look at him and you see the corruption and you see the exceeding sinfulness of sin, but you don't see it when there's a little baby with no teeth. 
you know, we don't, we don't see many times how exceedingly sinful sin is to a holy, pure God. See, that's why this area in here is protected, because, see, we don't think like God. Christians don't. And they can dwell out here in the natural, and they can, can do things that make them unclean, and they will reason and think that, oh, yeah, this is what God wants, and this is all this other stuff. And, and, and God says, no, this area is protected, and the only way you're coming in is through obedience. Now, I'm not talking about being saved or unsaved. I'm talking about being clean or unclean. And so God has, has this area all cordoned off. This, this wide line is not wide enough, you know. This is a wide line. And there's no penetration into this area where God is, into this pureness and holiness. Unless we're obedient to God, then the uncleanness, like I just gave you the example with the mirror for me, now, because I, I did what God wanted me to do, my obedience brings me through that, now into an area where I can approach God the right way, the way he wants. Um, another translation says, instead of exceeding, exceeding sinful, it's utterly sinful. Uh, Amplified says, that the extreme malignity and immeasurability of sinfulness, the sinfulness of sin, might be plain or might plainly appear. There he is in prison. Now, now I can see it. See, we don't think like God does many times. We don't see as God does. Now, I'm not saying every time you see a little baby, you say, you sinner, you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but realize that when a woman gives birth to a child, she's bringing another sinner into the world. And God wants to, to bring that up and to show, to show us. And sometimes it doesn't take too long. <laughs> do you have to train a child to do wrong? No. I was... Uh, Oh, my, my dad, <laughs> one, one Christmas he decided to get me this little toolbox. And they're not like the toolboxes you get for kids now. These were real tools. There was a little saw in there. I don't know why he got this for me. I was like three years old. And it had a, a wooden mallet. So here's this cute little boy, right? <laughs> I sawed the legs off my, my mother's coffee table. <laughs> Talk about the little, cute little boy that's a sinner by nature. And that wasn't the worst part. She had these real nice coffee tables that had like that blue glass inset. And I thought that's what the rubber mallet was for. I mean, the wooden mallet was for. And I broke the glass in the, in the coffee tables. She was ready to kill me. Well, that was just the beginning of the manifestation of the sinful man for my poor mother. <laughs> She said many times, if I could send them to military school, I would have. But uh, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> well, thank God that, you know, he redeemed me. You know, or who knows, I'd be sawing the legs off of something else. 
Now, go to Leviticus 15. Now, this is still talking about um, the discharge of, of, of man. Verse 15, and, and uh, I'll read this real quick. And the priest shall offer them, he's speaking about the, the two uh, pigeons or turtle doves. He shall offer them the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. That's why it was necessary for the man to bring this also, because that, that represented the, the sin nature or the condition of sin, because the discharge, remember this woman, represents death. See, any discharge you have from your body, um, be it blood, you know, semen, um, any, any, put it this way, anything that is disconnected from the body, because that's what it is, it's disconnected, be it a finger, a hand, a foot, it all dies. It doesn't take very long, and when something's separated from the body, it dies. See, see, all this thing here with the running issues, it, it represents death because it's separated now from the body. Another um, application would be as an individual is separated from the body of Christ, they die. See, still, it's, it's representative of death. And, and, and that's why, and as I said before, I believe that there has been a change in our bodies because of sin. I don't think that the original plan of God was as it is, no. But we are all living, so to speak, under a curse. That's why we're getting gray. It's true. We're all getting old. See, what would it have been like without sin? Well, someday we'll find out. Now look at... Chapter 15, this is speaking about the running issue of the man. Verse 4, every bed whereon he lieth that hath the issue is unclean, and everything whereon he sitteth shall be unclean. See, sin contaminates everything. Sin in, in, in this body. If I move in my sinful nature, that will contaminate me even more, and it will contaminate others, whatever I come in contact with. You say, well, what's that have to do with, the, with an inanimate object? Well, I can get into my car and be drugged up or, or drunk and take that car, and it can become a weapon. Why? Because of the influence of sin in my life. Or I can uh, take the car and go back and forth to church. See, there is, there is an influence of sin. And when you read through this chapter, it talks about the bed, and it talks about a horse and a saddle, you know, public transportation. Sin can, can be effect, have an effect everywhere you go. It's a contaminant. Turn to Psalm 119. Two more scriptures. Psalm 19, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? 
by taking heed thereunto according to thy word. The Amplified says, How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed and keeping watch on himself according to the word, confirming his, conforming his life to it. So the, 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 the contamination of, of this sinful nature now, the answer is in Christ. The answer is now for me being obedient unto the Lord so I don't get my saw out again. See, so I don't do things destructive because sin affects me. It affects other people. Psalm 51, in closing, verse 6. Behold, now this is again when David sinned with Bathsheba. He says this, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. See, so now you don't have the hidden sin there that causes this, uh, this ugly putridness that we see in chapter 15. Behold, thou desirest truth in here, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Well, how's that going to occur, Lord? Well, as we are obedient to whatever it is. They, for the Israelites, it was the, 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 uh, the law, the Levitical law. Then they were able to penetrate into this spiritual area or into this clean area or into this area where now they can approach a pure, holy God. For us, it will be obedience to you know, whatever it is that God has you uh, to do. If you, if you sin or whatever, whatever he has uh, showed you or laid before you to do, as you do that, you will be in or in this area of approach here that God has, has so desired you to be in. Now, I hope that this was a message for you that you could really glean something from because you don't know how many times I have heard over the years about you know, with women saying, why does God make my body the way it is? Why are things the way they are, you know, and all this? I believe it's, it, it, all this was, was for a purpose. And I hope that you see that it, this thing with childbirth, how that, the, the uncleanness of the woman was because she brought a sinner into this world. I hope this has helped you, mothers. And some of you fellas too. Okay? We'll continue next week.